0: Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a lot of fun. I have invited on several of the cast members of a play that I recently saw that I thought was just outstanding. It's called The Great Society at the Vivian Beaumont Theatre, and it's playing until December 1st. If have any chance to get to New York, if you're not here already, go see this. It is a recreation of the presidency of LBJ with particular uh, respect to his relationship with Martin Luther King and the development of the civil rights legislation. And it's so interesting to watch that in motion as well as the impact of the workings of and the building up of the Vietnam War, and the intrigue of that. It was incredible to see the interface of these elements that were uh, really raging the country at that time, and really kind of changing its face. and uh, Yes, we are going to be speaking with a few of the cast members, as I said. David Garrison, who played Richard Nixon, and does play uh, Governor George Wallace. Uh, Sheriff Jim Clark. He just—it's uh, so interesting that each member is playing several roles. Nicole Salter plays Coretta Scott King. Sally Childress, the executive uh, secretary to LBJ, and Tremel Tillman, who plays Bob Moses, Reverend Dobney—I'm not sure I pronounced that correctly—Josea Williams and Marquette Fry. So. Welcome to you all to a better world. A pleasure to have you Thank
1: you, thank you.
0: Good morning. Good, I hear all of you great good morning Good morning. <laughs> so I just want to just start off by saying thank you to you all and your your roles in in uh making this a very successful run and an incredibly enjoyable play i've got to tell you i just uh i was um, as Woody Allen says, so excited I was pulling my pants off over my head. So it was uh, it was that good. Uh, uh, so, you know, I'd love to just kind of look first at what it was like for each of you to sort of enter. Here we are in this incredible period of time now, politically, that is such a hotbed of well, so much. Uh, and then to just kind of go back, turn the clock back to the 60s and where there was another such a hotbed of, of political and social up, upheaval and unrest. So, Nicole, I'd love to start with you, ladies first. What is it like to <laughs> kind of go from here to there, from one hot, you know, from the uh, pan into the fire? That's
2: that's and uh, um, also, what
0: is it like to be playing Coretta Scott King?
2: Well, I think Mark Twain said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it always rhymes. Um, so while mm. I can't compare uh, what we're embodying uh, in the in the LBJ presidency on stage and what we're uh, enduring—I guess is the word I use—what <laughs> we're enduring yes. in the world around us currently, I, I wouldn't say it's the same thing. Um, but there is there there are there is some onomatopoeia there, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do. Um
0: I do. well put
2: and I think playing Coretta Scott King is is a wonderful honor and while she doesn't get much stage time, it's been a blessing in my life. Her spirit has been a blessing in my life and the um ability to have a project really launch you in the direction of learning someone about like learning about someone like her. Um, yeah. Her phenomenal character and, and uh, an idealism that she developed in her relationship with the movement um, that seems a bit otherworldly. Like like she's from a generation of people who, when they came of age, thought about what they wanted to give the world.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Not what they sort wanted of like to give the world. of like JFK's
0: idea which I wish got more play of, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can yes. do for your country, mm-hmm. that kind of sentiment. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And she had that sentiment, uh, at least in reading her autobiography, quite naturally it wasn't something that, there wasn't a, a spiritual or intellectual epiphany that led her to that kind of um, generosity. It was like, oh, that's, that, that was normal that's that's yeah. normal it's actually abnormal to live a transactional not life true. that's abnormal. Yes. what is normal no. is to live a generous life no. um and so learning yeah. about her and about all that she contributed to the movement um and not just her women in general, I think one of the things that bothers me about uh the I guess not just the civil rights learning in our nation, but the, the narratives around how we've all how this nation came to be. That there's usually one central kind of hero figure or a group of hero figures that kind of give us our understanding about how any change was made. And yeah. while I don't take away from leadership, I think leadership is important, none of those changes were made with just those people. <laughs> At oh, yeah. all. It yeah. actually took a lot of Effort from a lot of people, and I think learning about Coretta and the women of the civil rights movement and all the sacrifices that they made that um, allowed for the movement to have momentum, uh, it resonates with me deeply.
0: Yes, I hear you. I hear you. No, those are very, very fine points, and I agree wholeheartedly. There's always a team, as they say anyway, in common parlance, there's you know, there's a great woman behind a, a great man, it might even be. Uh, change to there may be a greater woman behind every great man mm-hmm. <laughs> that we could discuss mm-hmm. that. But uh, um, if somebody's phone Especially is making a fair TV. amount of noise. I'm sorry.
2: Can you oh, hear that?
0: me? Yes, I can. Oh, it, uh, it sounds like the noise okay. ceased. That's good. That's good. Um, okay. Along yeah. that same line of the civil rights, you know, let's just pick up on that thread for a moment. Uh, being, Even though MLK, of course, is one of the great leaders, at the same time, there was so much footwork being done, so much teamwork, so much team spirit that actually made it happen, you know, a la Nicole, what you're saying. Um, Tramel, you played a couple of roles in here that were sort of supportive to that notion. Maybe you could uh, comment on that a bit.
3: Absolutely. So um, one of the uh, shoes that I have the opportunity to step in is uh, Mr. Bob Moses. Um, Bob Moses was one of the uh, leaders of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And one of their major uh, objectives was to ensure that blacks had the right to vote. So they would travel uh, more specifically to Mississippi um, where uh, there was a heavy population of African Americans, but mm-hmm. a low voter turnout or low voter registration. And upon going into those cities, in those neighborhoods, we learned that there was the voter suppression was very high. Um, there was a lot of intimidating tactics. Um, there were violence inflicted upon um, people who were registered to vote. Um, they did voter suppression in the form of literacy tests and character referrals, doing whatever they can to make sure that blacks were not able to vote. So uh, they rallied the community. They rallied um, the people all across um, the the country to, to stand in front of the registrar um, to make sure that they were heard and they continued day after day after day after day and they stood there just to wait, um, to be seen, and to register, to have a right um, that we we may take for granted now. How um, many people fought um, and died for yes. that right? Uh, along with Hosea Williams, who um, Martin Luther King called him the bull in the china cabinet. You know, he was very fiery mm. and passionate, um, a leader that was not afraid about being vocal about what is right for his people. Um, and it is an honor to be able to, uh, and I echo what Nicole said, to learn uh, deeper, to dive deeper into these persons that have contributed greatly uh, to this effort and to um, add to the fabric and the hallmark of our country.
0: Wonderfully put. Yeah, of course. Uh, an honor. And, I mean, when you play a role in theater, I mean, you're entering, you could say, like not the spirit and the lifeblood of the of the person that you are portraying. So it's mm-hmm. like such a deep, it's like entering the essence of the person, which means you were entering the essence of that historical period, and the pain and the suffering Absolutely. then, you know, I mean, literally standing Absolutely. in the footsteps, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Right, and you never well, want to take that um, lightly, you know?
0: Yeah, never take it lightly. In fact, you know, this is... Uh, off the course of this uh, roundtable conversation, but some of the work I do has to do with empathy training. It's using theater for developing empathy. I, something I developed called therapeutic theater. Uh, has a lot to do with role-playing. and It's more designed for any number of different contexts, but boy, oh boy, does it work when you uh, make some effort to enter the space of the spirit of another person. It's... Uh, yeah. Things happen. You know. <laughs> a feeling of sympathy as well arises, and understanding, and oftentimes compassion, mm-hmm. thankfully. thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, now, talking about leaders, David Garrison, Richard Nixon, I guess we could call him a leader. George Wallace, I guess we could call him a leader. Um, what's it like yeah, to stand in those
1: shoes? Step into the essence of those guys. you got to have a shower. Immediately the <laughs> <your> answer. <laughs> oh God, yes, <yeah.
2: laughs>
0: that's very. Yeah, funny. listening
1: to my uh, my two compatriots here uh, uh, just reinforces uh, how those gentlemen that I represent on stage every night are the flip side of, of uh,
0: all that good energy. <laughs> yeah, a lot Ooh, of bad yeah. energy
1: coming out of these
0: gentlemen. <clears throat> oh boy! Oh boy! Yeah, I mean that stuff but you're providing the uh the the point counterpoint to the power of the movement, you know. There's a polarity like we have in the White House today. <laughs> Big polarity. Um yeah. Wow. so, sure. and, you know, um, it's incredible. Heard. What how do you do it? Um <laughs> the every
1: week? That's how they do it. Um I <laughs> I think that um, you know we're con- those who don't know their history are condemned to repeat it, and um, for some of our audience, this is a reminder of what they lived through. I'm certainly old enough to uh, have remembered those times. Uh, for a younger audience, it's a wake-up call to uh, demonstrate how we've been here before and the kind of Efforts and resolve it takes to get past um, a, a kind of political um, stalemate that, that we have. Um, you know, the the idea that um, Wallace expressed so uh, so clearly and in such raw terms, um, the notion that. Uh, the races should be separated uh, to then what happened with Nixon who uh, as we say in our play made racism respectable uh, and it turned more into the dog whistles of law and order and and war on drugs Mm -hmm. and a sort of benign neglect of the civil rights legislation that had been uh, brewing during the, the Kennedy and Johnson years And then you you slide into Reagan with his welfare queens and and, and a a sort of slippage of the whole conversation into the notion that um, equality of the races really meant economic uh, instability for white people that somehow alleviating racial inequality was disadvantageous to white Americans. And that breeds a sort of resentment to where we are today. You know, in in the Trump era where, I mean, it it couldn't be clearer that, uh, you know, that he's um, he's he's digging into this this festering wound of of, uh, white resentment that these other guys cooked up over decades. Yes. Uh, And we need to really, really pay attention to this and how we got here. Uh, and hopefully our our play um helps people see that um you yeah. know that evolution
0: yeah yeah i hope so i hope so uh just a, a word about you know the play itself uh, you know the historical context, of course, provided me. I was a wee lad at the time, so I was absorbing what I could. uh, And I was pretty politically attuned, but nonetheless, the the palace intrigue that was happening, you know, as a kid, I had no idea what was really going on behind the scenes. And I feel the play really helps to bring that forward, you know, some greater depth to the relationship. Even though I honestly wish it were deeper, between LBJ, say, and Martin Luther King. Uh, And that there was more discussion when King came out against the Vietnam War and was standing for economic justice for all people uh, that, you know, ultimately they say got him assassinated because he was meddling in affairs that, you know, it was one thing to talk about civil rights, it was another to really start stepping on the toes of the people with power, and um, I would have liked to see more in that space from the play, because I felt like I didn't know much about that at all, and the the play was an incredible (laughs) historical lesson for me. Any thoughts among any of you?
2: uh well <laughs> we while we have the the large duty to embody the roles we don't we don't really get to dictate what the play is that's in the the realm of the the playwright and in his sure. development and I wouldn't be um, so presumptuous as to speak on behalf of the playwright because quite frankly, we didn't have uh, a lot of time to speak to the playwright. Our production came to the fore quite quickly, so I, I yeah. actually don't know much ab- about uh, his impetus and his, the, the genesis for the genesis of the piece, or why he chose the events that he chose to dramatize. Um, but what I will say is that this is a companion piece to his other piece, "All the Way," which was essentially about LBJ's um, coming to actually garner the presidency on his own after the assassination of of JFK. And that piece takes place over the course of about 11 months. So you're talking about a two, two two-and-a-half-hour play to treat what happened in an 11-month period. But in our play, in The Great Society, it's about LBJ's presidency, which is a play that exists in about the same amount of time, two to two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes, guys. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) To
2: treat treat four years. Yes. Which included not only the domestic civil rights struggle, but also an international war. Um, So I'm sure that the playwright had um, his work cut out for him in deciding how to structure the story so that it actually revealed how and why the outcome uh, of J- of LBJ not taking on um, the charge of a second presidency came to be, which yes. I think was his goal. Um, yes. But as yes. you have so eloquently stated, um, th- our play actually includes eight or nine different plays. <laughs>
3: Even mm-hmm. the people
2: that you see dramatized really can have their own two-hour, full-length
0: piece,
2: period. Oh, so true. Um, so so true. It's, it's, easy, it's easy for it to be a disservice to a lot of people yes. who deserve a lot more of our attention and focus.
0: Yes. You no, know, Your points are well made, and the fact is it the amount of compression basically between the two plays you're referring to here is immense and enormous to get, as you're saying, four years of uh, whole presidency into two and a half hours. Of course, it's completely unrealistic, but there are so many threads. You're right. It's uh, many plays within a play are are articulate. I mean, the whole scene at Selma, you know, the, the drinking fountain issue, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Trammell, you have yeah, a George, comment?
1: As George Wallace would probably say, it's uh, three pounds of manure in a two-pound bag. <laughs>
0: Oh, you mastered him, boy. <laughs> oh, God. You know, one of the things that brought up for me watching, uh, you know, is the uh, the disgust many of us. I mean, I was a, a teenager. Uh, the disgust we felt for George Wallace, people in my world, I should say, you know, and, mm. uh, and for LBJ, actually. I mean, I remember dump LBJ, having one of those little buttons, you know, and that was mainly because of the war, not because of the civil rights work, Uh, you know, and I, but George Wallace, you you know, anyone with any level of intelligence or sensitivity had a a visceral disgust and repulsion to that man, so I don't know how you do it, David,
1: (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it didn't it didn't help that his uh, that his physical demeanor amplified that feeling. Um, yeah, you know what the most interesting comments I heard leaving the theater one night after the show was um, a woman of certain years talking to a, another saying, "I'm so angry that my mother made me hate LBJ so much."
2: Uh, oh yeah.
1: Uh It it was interesting, this coming from um, a person who uh, clearly of of liberal um, political leanings um, having grown up with this visceral dislike of LBJ that she got by listening to her mother. And the play revealed to her a a whole lot more complexity about the man than she had been led to believe growing up. Um, and you can always think of, gee, what might, what might have happened had it not been for the, uh, Vietnam the disaster of, of Vietnam. Yeah, and, and yeah. where the Great Society might have gone, um, and what yes, what might have condemned um, George Wallace and his ilk to the dust heap of history if they hadn't mm-hmm. gotten the oxygen that they were able to get because of the the
0: distraction of Vietnam. Wow. Well, I, that honestly speaks so much. I mean, you must have picked up on the vibe of what I was saying, because that is my mother had the same effect on me. Uh, truly, I uh, hmm. not just my mother, but larger than that. But uh, this play that you all help to create every night, Uh, really brought up for me an appreciation, as you're saying, with that woman leaving the the theater uh, of LBJ that I had not had. Also, for his humor. I had no idea about his humor and his storytelling and his political jockeying and skill. I mean, Mm -hmm. what what was that scene when he uh, dragged, uh, you, you all know it so intimately, when he brought the cameras out to get the um, the commitment on camera to the public earlier on For in the film.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that, was that George Wallace or was it Medicare? No. Is it? The yeah, ones, I think that was. That was
2: there was both.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: There was <laughs> both. That's right. Was both. That was awesome, Lisa. That's right. It was both. <laughs> awfully skillful, you know. <laughs> Oh, my God, this guy, mm-hmm. he was famous and
1: at, at, at political uh, uh, machinations. I mean, the, he was known as the master of the Senate prior to his yes. presidency because he had all sorts of ways to twist arms, both publicly and privately, that allowed him to advance his agenda. Uh, when he got all oh. bollocksed up in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the swamp of um, Vietnam, that all disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
3: Absolutely.
2: I think it's also interesting Absolutely. to watch our, our, our current president who is who attempted to do that, who just attempted to get uh, a foreign national to say publicly that he'd do something to kind of force his hand. Um, exactly. In the, in the investigation, it's, it's actually the same tactic. So even with the advent of all of our new technology and the new platforms for communication and for the media. <laughs> the tactic is yes. the same. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Exactly. Say it publicly. One, one is on the dark side, you could say, what we're dealing with today, um, for his own personal benefit, whereas what LBJ was doing was for the benefit of the nation. I mean that makes the a yeah, well, entirely well, different everything story.
2: Has a, a light side and a dark side. There's not a thing that exists that, that couldn't go either way. Um, right. A thing that we think That's is a right. virtue, honesty, could be used to hurt people, you know. It yes. could be weaponized. So, um, yes. it, you know, it, everything has, has to have its full consideration within the context in which it's being presented in a given life. Um, but anything could be used uh, either way.
0: Absolutely, true. And not to mention the truth often hurts. <laughs> so just sort of in itself. Uh-huh. Difficult, right? right. Difficult. One of the other well, things I was... Yes, right. Uh, one of the other things I was rather impressed with, and I'd love to hear what each of you have to say about this, is what felt like a uh, there's a financial generosity at the time of LBJ's um, uh, presidency—it it seemed like there was just no issue with budgeting money for, you know, the Medicare and for, you know, the civil right and all of the ideas that he had in mind to create a great society. The money was not a problem, you, whereas today, anything good that you want to do, they ask the question, "Well, where's the money?" Well, the money's obvious where it is. It's in the military budget and a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. You know, did, you, did that strike you the difference between that feeling that America has a lot of money instead, uh, to do good instead of what we are always feeling as pinching pennies whenever it ever comes to some kind of social program these days? Hmm. That's an, that's uh, I think an it's an important
1: interesting... to to uh, say that um, the relation of government to the economy was a lot different in the 1960s than it is right now and um, the strength of the middle class uh, is much different so the tax mm-hmm. base wasn't was entirely different it didn't have this wide disparity of, of income inequality um mm-hmm. the us was was coming off uh you know its its greatest decades after the the second world war so yeah. we were not in a position of having um uh, the kind of deficit spending that's going on and has been going on uh for years so you know it, it's kind of important to put this in the, in
2: in the context
1: of, of a different time so um and it was also a time of, of progressive taxation where um it was not uncommon for higher income people to pay a great deal more in taxes than they are now uh and no one seemed to think that was a bad thing <laughs> so yeah uh, the, yeah there was uh, there was a whole lot more flexibility in uh what can be considered appropriate in terms of government expenditure up until the point where we went down the rabbit hole of Vietnam and yeah. all the money started being deflected into defense industries. Um, anyway, I, I think that's just important to note.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And it's been only escalating ever since. And which of course means the fear factor becomes more and more a part of uh, the political scenario because you know it's the, the what if story. What if this happens, what if that happens, what if the Russians do this and what if the Iranians do that and therefore gear up and spend money and enrich those uh those corporations. Uh Trumell, you had something you wanted to uh share?
3: No, I, I I really appreciate what David said about understanding the context. Um Of the sixties versus now, I, you know, that's something that's really illuminating for me. I, I, but then also, I also think about what Bobby Kennedy said, um, about the importance of moral leadership, um, and the, the people that we set before us to lead our country, um, to lead our city, our state, um, to have a sense of morality, um, a sense of focus to do what's good for the greater good. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, not being in the rooms and not knowing what happens with the budget and what's decided and how it's decided, and I'm sure there is political influence when it comes to that, but don't really have a, I personally don't have a concept on that, but when it is when it when the idea is presented of you know what what should we do for you know to end poverty, what is our stake in that what how do we do the work to make sure that children have a quality education regardless of geological um location and race you know what are the steps that we're taking to do so, and where are our political leaders where are their loyalties where are their priorities? Um, I think it's – one of the things that I leave from this play is accountability, Um, keeping each other accountable, and also making sure our leaders are accountable, that they are going to do the things that they say that they're going to do. They established this platform. They got on these stages. They did the tours across the country and said that they were going to fight for this and this, this, that. So – we need to ensure that they do that.
0: Yes, yes. Yes.
3: Moral leadership, right?
0: Yeah. which we are so incredibly absent of right now. It's just, it's daunting what is actually going on. And so when you go back to the Great Society era, which was really, in so many ways, rather great, except for the likes of, uh, you know, a few people we've been talking about like Nixon and Wallace and Hoover we haven't even touched on. And, and of course, Nicole, as you were saying, nothing is black and white. Everything is a mix. There's always uh, dark that follows light and the other way around. We all have shadows. Uh, so you know, I, I you know it's also Nixon who engaged China. It's also Nixon who started the EPA and the Clean Water and the Clean Air Act. So you know, it's go figure. How does it all
2: work? Yeah. You know,
0: tell me how it It's also feet, right? it's
2: also Nixon who was the only Amer- American president since our inception to do anything to honor the treaties of the Native Americans. That was a Nixon too. Mm.
0: So. Oh, I didn't know that. Very interesting. interesting. I didn't know
3: that. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Not even Obama. Mm -mm.
0: Really? Wow. Mm -mm. You know, it's funny. When Clinton got into office, who I did not vote for, by the way, but uh, I wrote him a letter. In fact, I actually started Better World TV reading this letter on the air. It's a community public access show. And it was was saying to him that if he really wanted to, I thought, you know, maybe because he smoked a little pot and played saxophone, you know, maybe we stood a chance, I thought to myself. Um, And to really, like, do something good. Um, And I wrote him saying that if you really want to turn this country around, you have to make some major apologies. First to the Native peoples, then to people of African descent, then to the Chinese, then to the Japanese, then to people of Latin descent. I mean, a lot of apologies <laughs> needed. And, uh, but I also recommended that he form a cabinet level of native elders to help guide this nation, guide him in guiding this
3: nation. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, wow. well, I got, a, I I got an email, not an me? email, I got Lots a letter back have... saying thank you. I'm sorry?
2: <laughs> Lots Please. of nations, um, I'm thinking, oh, I could mean wrong. I'm probably wrong. Uh, I think it's a what? Scandinavian nation. Um, but they have, uh, as a part of their kind of governance structure, like a, like a minister of, of philosophy. I guess the closest thing that oh. we would have would be like an agency of ethics. Yeah. But, but really someone who is just looking at um, how close our policies are keeping us or taking us away from um, the kind of people we say we want to be.
0: Yes. That's how they did. Oh, yeah. So interesting. So uh,
2: interesting. Which is I don't different know about that, efforts, but it certainly like should be that way. You do something first. Yeah. yeah. But, also just a but yeah, no, as I as think, you think it's a great
0: idea. I think you should propose it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think Nicole should be the first I will. secretary of.
1: Well, Uh I think that's a great idea. Uh
2: oh. (laughs) Maybe I could be her assistant. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, it's great. It's great. Well, I tell you, I've enjoyed speaking with you all about this uh, really fine play. I've got to tell you, I really was really deep in it. I, I felt that it's it's choreography, if you will, you know, the way it was staged, the use of space. It was really, really skillful and very artful. Uh, You had so much, as we were talking about, the compression of four years into two and a half or two or so hours. You know, uh, a lot got communicated in a short amount of time, and it sped by. It was one of those plays that I never wanted it to end. Unless it was going mm. to be a good ending, <laughs> you know. I, I just I was enjoying all of you and the the skill of the acting and the the direction. I just thought it was really well done, and I just pleased. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank so you I very want much for having you all on to talk about this, and thank you for your good work here. Uh, let's remind everyone that it is still going at the Vivian Beaumont Theater, uh, and. Yep. We have tickets, I think, through our website, but certainly through on our newsletter, and you can, of course, just go direct and find out about it. It's running to what, December 1st? November
3: 30th. November 30th, okay. Well, that's yes, an
0: important November distinction. 30th. So if somebody is buying tickets for <laughs> December 1st, they're in trouble. <laughs> They'll be missing out on something great. So, Well, thank you again, each of you, for your good work and for... Uh, sharing with me today on A Better World. Our audience will very much appreciate all of your input, so uh, well,
3: I want to just thank, you thank for
0: David us. Garrison, Sure, Nicole Salter, and Tramiel Tillman for being on with me today. Any last comments either any of you would like to make? Please do. Come see the show. But not all at once, though. Not all at once. <laughs> <laughs> <the> show, right?
2: <laughs> I agree. Come see the show. Come see the show. That's right.
0: See the show. Beautiful. Well, keep up the good work, my friends, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you another time. When you're doing right. another play, right. please Looking let me fun. know, and we'll have you on again. Okay.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank, you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Wow. Well, that was a lot of fun speaking with these three about their good work, and uh, acting is such a powerful, powerful art form, and uh, having done some of it myself and having been involved in theater direction, writing dramaturgy, etc., uh, it's uh, a real pleasure to see it enacted, if you will, on such a high level, and that is what has happened here. Definitely go see the play, The Great Society. And I, I just a call out also to Brian Cox, uh, who uh, as a britishman uh managed to uh excel at the Texan drawl like you wouldn't believe, so all credit to him as well, but the overall uh cast just did superbly throughout the play from beginning to end and I'd really encourage you all to see it so I want to thank you all for listening today uh here at a better world with Mitchell J. Rabin. Remember we are a uh 501c3 as well, so any uh, consideration regarding uh, donations and contributions to us is always appreciated. We have a series of, of uh, different services we also offer. Just visit our websites, mitchellrabin.com and we can also get you a free newsletter because we are on TV every week as well, every Monday evening at 7 p.m., on community public access in New York, but also through our website everywhere in the world, in fact, if you coordinate it with the 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time airing. Just go to www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv for also the newsletter. Again, Mitchell J. Rabin, thank you to the Great Society cast and all the good work that they are doing really, it's a historical awakening that has real roots in what's happening now and will give you some greater handle on understanding, well, really, human nature. And uh, that's always so important. So, on that note, Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.